All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Bootstrap Experience podcast, where Jack and I uh, talk about our lives building SaaS apps on Shopify and other places. Hey, Jack, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Better than the weeks before. So I had a bit of an update to the incident that I talked about nice. last week. Yeah, which is nice. What happened? Basically, uh, I got an email saying, oh, we may have been a bit too quick to pull the trigger on blaming your app and that after sort of doing uh, deeper investigations, it was within their own systems. So Ooh, it was never wow. an issue with my app or anything to do with my app at all. And I think the reason that they thought it was my app is because that was like the common factor between all these customers. But I think that's also due to super high traffic that we send through the Shopify app proxy. So I guess the failure was there somewhere or on the order status pages. But I don't know the details fully, and I don't think it's my place to sort of get into details about stuff like that. But, but at least from my side, I think it was due to my app being a heavy user of lots of people clicking through that part and then just being the commonality between all these things. Um, so basically, I wasted a week of work, uh, had a week of really late nights, and had the app obviously unpublished for a week. And monetary-wise, that's about $2,500 or something in lost revenue. It's a one-time payment app. So if you yank it out of the app store, it basically stops making money, right? Oh, yeah, so it was like, ah, oh, finally, it wasn't me going crazy thinking this wasn't my problem. <laughs> you know, like looking in the logs and all this type of stuff. And I had to put it down to like, it must be a thread safety issue or something because they're impossible to prove anyway. Um, but yeah, so I feel a lot better. It's nice knowing that it wasn't my issue. I just feel bad for the 5,000 people that I emailed saying that it was. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Yeah, so anyway... Not much more to do there, really. I mean, I guess on the bright side, you've built goodwill with Shopify. Like uh, any incidents going forward, I'm sure they'll take a lighter hand with things. Yeah, and I think that's probably the takeaway, right? To be a bit more sure about doing these things. And fair enough, I think because it was to do with personal information, like breach of personal info is, is like one of the most serious things that can happen, right? Sure. So I think it was still a fair reaction to like, right, let's try and stop whatever's causing this and then we'll investigate it. It was, yeah, just a bummer that it sort of, you know, it impacted me. But um, I think that's just part of doing business and people make mistakes and hopefully the, we'll all learn from it and move on. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's uh, great that they took such like a swift action on the issue. It's just a shame you got caught up in it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I posted a GIF or a GIF um, of uh, Shawshank Redemption, you know, when he's uh, standing out <laughs> in the rain at the end there going, hey, it wasn't me. And that's exactly how I felt, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, so it was nice. And like, do you email all these customers again and say, hey, by the way, it wasn't me? Or And in the end, it's like, well, let's just let things lie and, and leave it alone. Yeah. You know, I don't have anything extra for them to do. There's no action that they need to take. And it might just cause more confusion or, or whatever. So I guess I'll just take it and uh, move on. Yeah, I would be more inclined to follow up, I think, if it was like a monthly subscription app, because this could cause a lot of churn. Yeah. But as a one-time fee, I think as long as they feel comfortable using it again and that's communicated to them in some way, like I think you're fine. Yeah, and the last sort of email and, and everything else, it sort of showed the steps they could update the emails and everything. And that would actually remove this part of the app altogether. 
while not removing the actual value that it gave or only removing a very small part of it. So in the end, if they follow the instructions, it doesn't really matter. You know, they'll have a better design or some people maybe haven't updated the email designs in years, right? So if they copy over the new code, they'll be getting a bunch of bug fixes and small changes as well. So that's nice. It's not the worst thing that they could do. It's just the fact that they've a lot of people have wasted a bunch of time that they didn't need to at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so big news this week is uh, I saw you're a uh, Shopify celebrity now. <laughs> uh, Shopify Cribs. <laughs> That's awesome. That was fun. I used to record it back in October. Oh, wow. So it's a while ago now. Yeah. But um, they were supposed to do it or use it for the, I guess it was December. There was one of them where they sort of said, hey, we're going to postpone this until the new year. And it might have been late November or early December it was supposed to be. Um, so we had it ready for that. And then, um, yeah, but it was fun to see. Yeah, that was cool. Do you um, normally attend the uh, Shopify partner town halls? Yeah, I tune in sort of a half year, I guess. It's usually quite late because it's on the Canadian time zones. But uh, yeah, I usually tune in just to sort of catch up on what's going on. I thought this one was really good. Did you watch it? I didn't. Uh, I will probably catch up. So I made an effort. One of my sort of resolutions for 2020 was going to be, I'm going to get more involved in the offline Shopify community and start attending events. Yeah. And obviously that didn't work out for 2020. (laughs) But yeah, actually it was kind of cool. I booked tickets for their Mexico City Shopify. I can't remember what they were calling. It was like Shopify... Pursuit. Yes, that's Pursuit. That's right. Yeah. And uh, they ended up canceling it because it was like right when COVID started. I think it was like early March. So it was right when I was starting to really like kick off in the news and everything. And uh, yeah, but it was silly to get my plane refunded. So I ended up just having a nice couple of days to explore Mexico City. Oh, wow. Okay. So you still was able to go. That's cool. Yeah. It was my last outing before being locked down for almost a year. Yeah. So it was good. <laughs> yeah. They managed to actually hold the one over here in Amsterdam, actually. And I was along for that as well. And I think the pursuit events are, are really cool. They're like very hands-on. And because it's quite small, you have a chance to see or talk to a bunch of people. It's not this huge event here. It's easier for people to sort of fall into conversation, I think. But I went to the one in Berlin. I was actually teaching a workshop at the one in Berlin, and then I went to the Amsterdam this year. But I definitely, like, if you can start going to more events once COVID stops, or is at least under control, then I definitely recommend it. I think it's a great way to sort of feel part of the community in a sense and, and meet a bunch of cool people that know a bunch of really smart things. Yeah, hopefully next year. I guess we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. Have you gone to any of the Unite ones or? I haven't. No, I've never actually been to any in-person Shopify events. Okay. Uh, so I'd really like to. Yeah, definitely. I highly recommend that. Also just for the inspiration and you know motivation and stuff. It's like being immersed in my people, you know, like right. <laughs> they understand what I'm talking about. Like not very many people in my normal circles understand what I do. <laughs> so it's really nice to be surrounded by people, uh, like-minded people for almost a week, I guess. Yeah, I think I had this sort of negative view of conferences in my mind just because I had attended some for like past developer jobs and things where topics I wasn't actually interested in. So I didn't have like a really good time at these events, but for Shopify, like I'm sure it'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, conferences can be a lot of things, not always interesting, but I think the Shopify ones have always struck a good mix of learning with socializing and they've generally been in pretty cool places as well. So it's been fun to hang out. Yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah, I guess moving on from the incident and everything like that, 
Oh, what have you been up to this week? Yeah, this week was cool. So I had a chance to really put some development hours into Translate CI for the first time in a while. So my schedule was a little clearer than it has been for the last month or so. And I would say I'm at the point now where my schedule is going to dictate launching the beta. Like I think it's pretty much code complete for the beta. I do have to get the server infrastructure and all that set up, but that should only take a day or so. Basically, once I know like I have a clear week or two weeks to work with beta customers and sort of be on hand to make sure everything's good, and I don't really have other pressing scheduling issues, I think I'll be ready to actually launch. So I'm really excited about that. Awesome. That's huge. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're smart also waiting until you have time to properly, instead of just pushing it out now, it's code complete. You just go, all right, hey, let's get it out there as quick as possible. I think it makes sense to be really available, especially in the beginning, because it can be crucial of how the first people experience it as well, right? Definitely. And like, I'll be on, I want to make sure I'm available to be on the live chat and everything else just to make sure the experience is as smooth as possible. And if any issues come up, be right there to catch them. Yeah, exactly. And and there's always issues, you know. <laughs> um, I'm sure. As much as we like to test things ourselves, people always find ways to break things. So <laughs> I think it definitely makes sense to be available. Yeah. My biggest concern about the whole thing, and I haven't quite figured this out yet, is just marketing. So having done Shopify apps for the last several years, that Shopify app page is so great. You have the built-in traffic from the app store. So about a third of my installs come from just organic app store search. And not having that crutch, I think, is going to be super interesting. Yeah. What are you thinking? Um, how are you going to tackle that? Um, yeah, a couple things. And it's definitely going to be a slower launch than it was on Shopify. Like Shopify had customers day one just because of that built-in traffic and it got featured on the homepage and stuff. But for this one, it's definitely going to be a slower rollout. Yeah. So I'm looking at things like SEO more for this. And also I'm considering sort of releasing some open source projects around translation, I think could be interesting. as just a way, you know, some developer tools and things like that around translation to help get your code base in shape and ready to be translated. Yeah. Hopefully, I think really, I'm just going to try a bunch of stuff and double down on what works. There's actually um, a really good book I had read when I started Neat A-B testing called Traction. It's by the guy that made that DuckDuckGo search engine. Okay. But he sort of talks about 17 or 20 different marketing channels and sort of ways to run low cost experiments in those channels. So his idea basically is like you sort of pick two or three channels you're interested in, design some low cost experiments that'll take two to four weeks and just kind of keep going until you find a channel that starts to get traction and then just sort of throw all your marketing effort into that channel. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a really smart move, right? Because you're sort of testing your way and you're not doing too many things at once so you can actually tell what's working, right? Yeah, and I definitely follow that approach with need A-B testing. I ended up at the most likely place, which was just App Store optimization. But it sort of let me try a few different things and then realize that like, okay, I really need to be putting all my effort into the App Store itself. Yeah. And so I think that was good. I didn't really have to spend so much time wondering like, well, what if I did this or or could this make a difference? And feeling like I didn't have time to put the work into it, you know? Yeah. And I think when you're on Shopify, like we're kind of spoiled in that sense is that we do get sort of traffic just turning up by being there, right? And 
I think even when I've tried other things like other channels for marketing, the Shopify app store itself has always been like the main driver for me. And like 90%, I'd say, of my traffic comes from there. For sure. And that's maybe me not doing enough in the other channels, but it's just always felt like the other stuff is things to try to eke out a couple of extra percent and not another 50 or 100% growth or anything like that. It just doesn't feel possible in the sense that the bulk, and from speaking with other app devs as well, it seems like they've also found the same thing. And you can get a couple of extra percent by doing marketing in other places, but the bulk of it's always going to be with the App Store itself. So I think it makes sense to optimize the App Store listing. And I've seen that from other app developers as well. And I'm always curious if it's like a case of the App Store is just that much better than the other marketing channels, or were developers primarily that aren't expert marketers and the App Store is just the easiest to make work I think you're probably right <laughs> there as well. <laughs> but I've also heard some of the larger ones, like companies that do have like a marketing department and things like that, that have also had some good acquisition from other channels, but the app store has always been like the main one for them as well. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. I think that if I was going to do one thing to begin with, at least, would be to to optimize the app store listing, to spend a good amount of time on that with copywriting and making sure the images are, are right that you're actually showing like the selling points of your app and not just features. You know, what, how's this going to help them? How's it going to make it easier? Yeah. And then uh, screenshots and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about, like I noticed you don't use explainer videos and I'm a big fan of them. I'm just curious, like have you experimented with explainer videos before and decided they weren't worth it? Or what are your thoughts on that? Because there's that sort of big prominent spot at the top of the App Store listing. Yeah. Uh, Personally, I don't generally watch them. They're all too cartoony and too salesy in that sense. I'm most interested in like the screenshots and the three points, like the three main benefits. But I have had a couple of explainer videos made. One for Audley Print, the older app and also for order printer templates. And I actually found for Audley Print, I think it helped. But as you add more features or change the branding and design, you have to have them redone, right? Otherwise, the feeling of the app and the feature set that you're showing in the explainer video doesn't cover what the actual app does anymore. And I think that one helped until it was sort of outdated, I guess you could say. But then I did it for the other app as well. And I found it actually put off sales. I saw that sales fell when I actually published it. And maybe it was just a bad script. The graphics were okay, but they're still a bit cartoony, I think. I'd want to do a higher production value if I was going to do them again, I think. I don't know. Have you tried them on need A-B testing? Yeah. So I use one, and you're right, I have had to keep it updated over the years. Uh, I've done probably four or five decent size edits on it. So about once a year, once every nine months. But the only experiment I did was right in the beginning. So for the first three months or so, I didn't have the explainer video. And then I tried getting one made. And my installs jumped by about 40%. Oh, wow. And I think, okay. Yeah, I think a big part of that might just be because A-B testing is maybe a little hard to explain without sort of a wall of text. Yeah. So this like nice... 60 second overview was really good for people that weren't 100% sure what they were getting into. And my video is super cartoony and all that, which I think helps just because it makes a pretty complex concept a little simpler. Yeah. I can definitely see how like explaining a concept makes a lot of sense with these. But I think the concept for a couple of my apps is fairly well known, right? You know, invoicing. Most people understand invoicing, I think. Right. So it's not like a concept you have to explain to them or teach them. And in that sense, I just thought, well, I'd prefer that they read 
further down on this than to use all of their time. And if the explaining video doesn't resonate with them, then they're gone, right? They're not going to look at anything else. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think at the end of the day, it may be... Um, oh. <laughs> um, Sorry, that was my air conditioner going off. I just turned it off. Ah, uh, no worries. It's getting warm <laughs> or cold. Yeah. Um, yeah, no worries. I'm, I'm actually in the summer house at the moment, so I'm uh, battling with the uh, internet here as well. So it's a bit of a, <laughs> a piece together episode, this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when you're saying it's you got 40% um, extra installs because of that video, then I think it's maybe worth revisiting for me and just doing more research on which company I should use. Last time I also let them write a lot of the script and then I did sort of some editing and things like that. And I think that was maybe a mistake. I should have spent more time doing a proper script myself or at least working with somebody that isn't just interested in getting it done, right? Because they've got a job to get done and they just want to produce this and move on to the next customer. So having the time and spending the extra time polishing the script before it goes to like animation and everything else. Did you do the script yourself or did you have somebody help you? Or? I did do the script myself and I worked like I did a lot of research on it and worked pretty hard. I used a, I guess it's a framework you would call it, called ADA or AIDA, which essentially is like, a, it's definitely worth looking into when you're writing landing pages or scripts like this. It's sort of a old copywriting formula okay. for sort of capturing people's attention, presenting your product in the best way, and then giving them a call to action. So these videos have to be only about 60 seconds long. I think they can be a maximum of two minutes. But from what I understand, 60 seconds is about as long as you're going to keep someone's attention. So you get about 150 words to do that. And so basically what I did was I sort of followed this formula, wrote out a script. It was about 600 words and then just ruthlessly cut it down and spent a couple weeks sort of iterating until I just had something that I felt did really well. Okay. And worked with an artist to do a storyboard, get the voiceover, all that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense to spend the most time on the script and then obviously working together with them to get the visuals right and everything else and that they are actually hitting the script and what you want to convey. But I find that part is probably easier to, how to say, find people to help with than the actual script writing because you need to understand your product and what makes it specifically better than maybe the competition and everything else. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, and for the animation part of it, I actually just did it the cheap way. I went on Fiverr, and there's a lot of bad explainer video makers on Fiverr. <laughs> I actually really like the person I found and have continued to use for you know graphics and things like that for a few years. Everything's okay. hand-drawn, original, so they're not just moving sprites around the screen. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and I'm really happy with that. Yeah, I went with also a company that they just live off doing explainer videos. What are they called? They're called Bread and Beyond. And the animation was cool and you had sort of different styles that you could work from and for the narration you could, there was maybe like 30 different voices you could sort of go through and listen to and pick the one that you felt matched what you wanted the most and things like that. And it was reasonably priced. I guess maybe you can find something on Fiverr is generally cheaper, right? Because you're dealing with an individual. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I remember, I think I spent a couple thousand dollars or something on mine. Yeah, I think that there's kind of a couple tiers. You know, you can get those five dollar videos on Fiverr and yeah. I mean from everything I saw I'd love to be able to spend five dollars, but it's gonna not gonna be any kind of good quality that you'd want to use. And there's sort of that mid tier, which is what I went for, where I think it cost around five hundred dollars. And then yeah. that sort of top tier where you're in two thousand dollars and above. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's a matter of just sort of curating yourself, right? Because you're trying to find a certain visual and different people have different visual styles. So I think it's a matter of also personal preference and taste in which one you'll go with in the end. Right. Yeah. 
when I was exploring, I definitely found some companies that did these amazing yeah. live action and with the actual actor explainer videos that just were great. But at the time, I think I was making $200 a month off the app, so I wasn't quite prepared to spend no. six grand on one of those. Yeah, and it's one of these things that it's not super necessary, right? But it's a nice to have. And it shouldn't be the first thing that you maybe spend budget on. <laughs> right, right. Talking about app listing page, what else have you sort of done to try and optimize that page yourself? You know, it's a little strange because they redesigned the app page 16 months, maybe two years ago, and really de-emphasized the description. So you have to click to expand the whole thing now. Yeah. Which I think is a little bit of a shame because I worked really hard on that description. I don't know if it gets much use. I think that the benefits features they have right below the header are probably the really important piece now where you have a little graphic, a headline, and then you get a pretty small number of characters to sort of outline the three key benefits of the app. Yeah. And I probably have not tested those as much as I should have. So I think when I first created like the new app listing page with these, I think I kind of came up with a few, got a few graphics made and stuck with it. But I think that's probably definitely worth experimenting with. Yeah. I think that's uh, very much my journey as well. Also because we had the older design before, so it was more of a migration task in a sense to get it over into the new format, for me at least. And I had, what, four of them to do as well. So I, I don't think I'd spent enough time optimizing them afterwards. But Shopify did put out actually an interesting article around keywords and SEO of the App Store landing page. So they kind of did an article showing what to optimize for best ranking and search results and things like that. And there I put in some time to sort of optimize things and change it around and see to make sure that at least I was showing up under the right categories and I was showing up quite high on those categories. Before App Store ads came along, I guess I was on a couple of my apps, I was the first or the first, second or third for most of my apps in those categories. So I guess I must have done something right in the copywriting part. But I definitely agree with you that those three main ones are the ones that are most likely to be seen by the person as well. I think the actual description text helps with like your SEO part of it, like keywords and, and things like that. So it helps Shopify sort of determine what your app is about. But I don't think that most merchants are reading that full text anymore because obviously it's, it's also hidden, but it was also like a big wall of text, which is generally not like the best way to, or at least people are generally skimming these things, I think. I know that when I'm looking at it, yeah, I'll look at the three main benefits and then I'll go to like screenshots, pricing, things like that. I always look into like, does the company have a website? Do they link out to their terms of service or privacy policies and things like that? What happens if I leave the Shopify app store and go to their actual website? What does it look like? So I've always tried to sort of put some time into making sure that if you do click through on those different links out on the right-hand side that you you actually see something that's trustworthy and looks professional. Yeah, I tend to click on those as well. And I do have the developer website and privacy policy links on the App Store page, but I, I know they have a few other spots there. I should probably fill in like an FAQ and uh, there might be something else. Yeah, and that's actually something I tested. Oh, yeah? <laughs> or at least my unscientific tests, most of it. But I can generally tell pretty quickly, especially with the one-time payment apps, because they are like, like an e-commerce store in a sense that if you change something in sales stop, then you kind of know that those things are correlated in some way if nothing else changes. And uh, yeah, linking out to the FAQ reduced installs in a sense. I think people sort of went, jumped off and then get distracted. 
So I provide sort of enough there, but I don't link to the preferences page I think you can do and the FAQ page. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but I, obviously on my website, it's super easy to find our support documents and everything. And in the app, there's always a link to view support documents at all times. So it's not like I'm not trying to give people help. It's just I don't think it's during the sales cycle on the App Store listing that they'll need this. It makes sense too, yeah. If they're going off to a separate website. Yeah, exactly. And and also, if they are looking for support, they're generally in the app or searching for something and then they'll discover the articles anyway or click the help button in the app. It's just generally not on the App Store page that people are looking for support, or at least most of them. So you do track and, and look pretty closely at conversion rate on your app page? Not really, <laughs> to be totally. <laughs> but I do sort of small experiments sometimes to try out different things when I get an idea. I wish I was more scientifically data-minded in that sense, but that's never been my strong side. Right. And it's just been generally based off, right, can I see an immediate impact of what I'm doing here? So it's much more been going from gut feel or you know, I know my numbers well enough and I know how many of these different templates I sell per day and so forth and how many visitors I get on a day. And it's like super steady. Then slowly grows over time. But you know, if I have like half of the normal amount of visitors one day, I'd know it. And it's generally because I've changed something or tried something out. So that's kind of my unscientific method of trying things out. But I think that helps if you've got a certain amount of traffic. In the beginning, it was really hard to know because maybe my install rate wasn't that high or my ranking wasn't as high, so I wasn't seeing as much traffic. But it's gotten easier, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't have a ton of traffic on my App Store page, so any actual attempt I would make to do A-B testing would either take six years or just not work at all. Yeah. See, I think eyeballing is the best you can do, or at least I can do. Yeah, exactly. I think you're totally right. Speaking of A-B testing, it would be cool to be able to A-B test that page. It would, yeah. You know, I've always looked at that because there's like a few... They sort of give you remarketing pixels and Google Analytics pixels, and that is it. But yeah. it'd be so nice to be able to include a few other things on that page. Yeah, I totally agree. I guess they can't make it the Wild West in a sense, so they can't allow us to do too much. Right. But I think if I was allowed to ask for one thing from all of Shopify, it would be to allow us to do like domain linking for Google Analytics so we could see the full journey of if they came from an ad that came to the app store and then turned up in our app, we'd be able to actually join that journey and be able to see the entire from start to finish. And it's just impossible right now. Yeah, so the way I do that is typically send the user through my domain first and cookie them Yeah. so I can see them on the other side after they've installed. And that works pretty well. It's not foolproof, but that's sort of that good enough tracking. Yeah. Do you do that using like an automatic redirect then? Yeah, I just built a little redirect into the app that is super simple. It just stores a row in the database. Mm -hmm. Because most of my traffic is coming from the app store itself, I don't have to worry about performance or anything too much. So it's just super simple. Yeah. But you're not sending them to like a landing page on your site first. You're actually just doing a redirect somehow. Oh, yep. Yep, just a redirect. Yeah. And away they go. Okay. Yeah. Ah, I should try that. Because it's sort of held back on spending too much outside the App Store as well. Well, it doesn't work for everything also. I know Google AdWords will not let you redirect between domains like that. Some will. So it just depends on where you're trying to spend money. Yeah, definitely. I think I remember reading that on Google as well and thinking, hmm, okay, so that's not a solution. And yeah. yeah, not thinking too much more about it. But still, it would be really nice if there was a proper solution for it. Um, yeah, this is probably a little too big to get into towards the uh, end of the podcast, but I'm curious, and maybe we can talk about it next week, if you've done much AdWords advertising. 
It was a few years ago now. Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with it. I do have some ads still running and it's mainly been, I found that remarketing has been the way to go because we're not allowed to bid on the Shopify keyword and that makes it really hard to niche down enough that you're not just burning money to completely random people that aren't searching for what we're selling. Yeah, that was my experience as well. Yeah, and then I found that either remarketing from the Shopify app store listing page or just because they've visited your your website or anywhere else, then um, that's been a good way to gain some additional installs. But again, it's kind of hard to sort of track that journey fully if you're tagging them inside the Shopify app store listing. You can't tie them up to which user, or at least I can't. Maybe I should look into what you're doing more closely. Um, Speaking of uh, ads, I guess you could say, um, I'd been doing the Shopify ads like we were talking about uh, a few episodes ago. And a couple of times, about a month ago, and then again a week ago, in Europe now, whenever you use a credit card online, you need to do like a two-factor authentication to approve it, 3D secure. And the payment in the Shopify App Store ads said, oh, hey, it failed because of you need to verify the 3D secure again. So I guess it lasts for a certain amount of time. But then that process failed to actually do it. So it just doesn't redirect me to the right place. So my ads have sort of been put on pause for the last week, which is quite interesting because it's forced me to then look at, is this, am I actually gaining anything by having these App Store ads? And the conclusion is not much has changed since I turned them off. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, January, start of February is usually a bit quiet, but it's still steady enough that I can tell the trend sort of thing. And yeah, turning them off hasn't really changed installs or anything else. And maybe it's like on the themes where maybe I sell between 10 and 20 themes a day. It's still in that area. And Maybe I'm missing out on one sale, but that one sale is the budget for the App Store ads. So it's a net zero game, I guess, in that sense. Huh. So yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting because we were talking about it, I remember, a little while ago and we were talking about I should try and turn it off to see what actually happens. Yeah, that's super interesting. <laughs> and that's not to say that the App Store ads aren't a viable thing and people shouldn't do it. But I'm just saying that at least for me, I was surprised to see that it didn't have a bigger impact. Yeah, so I think that's probably a pretty good place to leave it for this week. Unless you've got a... Uh, more things that you'd like to chat about? No, I think that about does it for me. Hopefully, I will have more to report on with Translate CI next week. Yeah, look forward to it. It's uh, going to be exciting to see how it kicks off. Like I said, I'm in the summer house now, and my wife's been here for like three days, and then and then I've had the kids myself, and then I've brought them up here, and we're together for two days, and then I get the whole weekend for myself here on my own, which is amazing. Oh, nice. But uh, the traction book that you mentioned, I think that'll be my reading while I'm here. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth checking out. It helped me a lot sort of understand at least the basics of marketing channels. Yeah, and I think that's the thing to explore and how do you test them properly and it's going to be interesting to follow along as well with uh, how it works out. Cool, sounds good. All right, I'll talk to you next week and stay safe. All right, see you then. Yeah, cheers.